0: Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I want us to just take a few moments to take in that word that was given to us about freedom from perversion. I don't believe that there has ever been more access to perversion than there is now. You're talking even in the time of the pagan nations. You had to go someplace to participate in their brothels or in their prostitution. Even some of them had them in their temple, temple prostitution but now every man, woman, and child can have pornography access 24-7. And we know, scientifically speaking, that it rots the brain. It changes the psychology of a person. Now, thankfully, your brain is able to rejuvenate over time. Uh, I used to smoke a lot of weed, and now I have a great mind. How many came out of a drug past but now have a great mind? Amen. And God is able to... Do a miracle in the midst of the physical as well. But brothers and sisters, that word was powerful. I've been free from pornography since 96. I lived holy and celibate for over 10 years through the height of my sexuality from 18 to 28 until I got married. And now by God's grace, I've been married for about 18 years and have six children. So everything still works fine. Can I hear an amen to that? So don't worry about it. Don't. Don't let the world deceive you and think you need it, you don't need it, and what will happen is, and just want to take this teaching moment, is what it will do for you in your marriage or those of you who are single who come into a relationship is it will then set you up for success. I believe one of the reasons in my marriage I have had so much success with not being tempted in other realms and to be distracted is because I came into the marriage pure and holy. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, those of you who have not been pure and holy and you claim the name of Jesus, that's why you repent. And then you take on the new creation of Christ. You believe that the righteousness of God, everybody get this, the righteousness of God has been imputed to you. Let's go to Second Corinthians, please. Chapter 6, verse 10. Notice that our ability to live holy is not a righteousness from our own selves. It comes from Jesus Christ. Oh, chapter 5, rather. Chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, let's go to verse 17. Chapter Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. How many are ready for a sermon before the sermon? Amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has what? Has come. The old has gone. The new is where? The new is here. So... Those of us who want freedom and receive freedom today, those of you who received it, you didn't receive it because of your good works. You received it because of the grace of God. Can I hear another amen? Amen. Now, those of you who want to be righteous from this day forward, that means living the right things of God. And by the way, here's a little pastoral cheat code. This applies to every other sin other than just pornography as well. Can I hear an amen to that? So what I'm teaching you now is the freedom from all sin. Freedom from all sin. But this is specific to what we were talking about. Now look at verse 21, please, of Second Corinthians chapter 6. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God is imputed to us in Christ Jesus. And the way it works is this. Adam and Eve's sin, way back then, imputed to us a sinful nature. That's why we were born naughty by nature. So the naughty by nature worked by an imputation. The little child did not choose to be a liar, but the little child, you give it enough time playing with its friends and being around mommy and daddy, the child will start to lie. Nobody taught that child how to lie. Can I hear an amen from the parents? The child will start to be greedy and say, mine, mine, though no one has taught them a lesson on selfish, selfishness. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We teach children not to lie to tell the truth. We have to teach children to be givers and sharers is that not true parents amen all oh, right because that's they were imputed a sinful nature and the religious church has tried to say, well, let's baptize them as babies. Let's ensure their salvation. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. So until children have a conscience ability in maturity to choose good from evil, should they die, they die in a state of grace without even having to be baptized. That's why Jesus didn't baptize them. But he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. Can I hear an amen? God loves all the little children of the world. Now a child that comes into an adolescence, then we'll have to make a decision. And then there's things in the Bible that shows adolescents are held accountable. So we call this the age of accountability. And then now their conscience and their relationship with God will be held to them on judgment day. And then sometimes even people here say, well, what about those who haven't heard the gospel specifically? Romans chapter one says that what they do know, they will be held accountable to. Because let us not uh, look at people in the world through evolutionary eyes, seeing the less advanced as being actually less human. Let's believe, believe that anytime you see a human, they are advanced as any other human, especially in their, in their soul. Amen? So just because someone today is in an unreached people group in a jungle, that doesn't mean that they have a permission to be cannibals. They're humans. They know not to eat other humans. That's a violation against the law of God. That's why all unreached people groups are not cannibals. Can I hear an amen? But evolution will have you thinking like that. that They came from the goose to the zoo to you, so these people are more savage, and they came because they are more closer to the animals. That is not true. The Bible says every person is made in the image of God, one race, the human race. And then in Acts 17, he's allowed us to be dispersed from the Tower of Babel, the rebellion against God, to form these various nations and cultures. And all people groups not only trace their ancestry to Adam and Eve, but closer to that to Noah's ark, to the flood. After coming off the flood, they went around to the nations, like I said, from the time of Tower of Babel. And so every people group, and we've studied this as missionaries, anthropology, and it's been proven that there is a harmonization, there is a comparativeness that is similar between all of these people groups. How many understand that? They understand to honor their fathers and their mothers, to keep um, to keep themselves from murder and from stealing. There's no culture out there that says, hey, it's okay. Everybody just steal." from each other here in the village. How many know that? And so if you see a village like you see a group of people like the Vikings going out and stealing from everybody, that, that's, that's something that God's going to hold them accountable because they should have known better. Can I hear an amen to that? But now I just say all of that to say if the imputation of Adam's sin came to us and we did not have a choice over that, we were born sinners, how about the righteousness of God being imputated to us because of Jesus? You see, that's already been done, and the only choice that we make, listen, sinner or saint, is who do you identify with now? Think about that. Do you want to stay identifying with Adam, the first sinner? Well, then you're going to keep living like a sinner, and then you're going to have the damnation of that. But if you choose to identify with Jesus, that's automatic. When you identify with Jesus, you get the righteousness. So think about it like this. Does doing bad works make me a sinner, according to the Bible, or am I born a sinner? I'm born a sinner. Sinners are not sinners because they sin. They sin because they're sinners. That's according to the Bible. Put up a new tab, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Sinners sin... Because they are in nature a sinner. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As the karaoke screen's running slow, they're looking up in your Bible. You who were dead in your transgressions and sins. Does everybody see that you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live? So you used to live in what had you dead. The dead man here is not a a man or a person that cannot have motion or movement in life. The dead is spiritual. And Jesus said, in the day you eat to Adam and Eve, specifically to Adam, you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. Did they die physically that day? No, and then if you look at the Hebrew, it says, in in death you shall die. That's literally what it means. And so when we say the English word, surely die, there's an emphasis twice on death. Surely die. The, the the, The Greek, in the English it comes out, surely dead. In the Hebrew it's, in death you will die. So what died first? Their spiritual life, and then what dies next? Their physical life. Everybody tracking with me? You shall surely die. In death you will die. So because we're born sinners, we sin. Now go back to the righteousness of God, please, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Well, pastor, I want to be free. uh, Joe, I don't want to sin. And I've tried to do it, and it didn't work. Well, then here was your problem. Here it is. Here is the problem for all of our sins. You did not believe Jesus Christ was your righteousness. That's it. If you get that revelation, you will be free from every sin. Go to, uh, Keep that tab open. Go to John chapter 8, verse 32. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Let God be true and every man a liar. And all it takes is a few people to get free from some stuff, and then you'll start believing it. When I first told my friends that I was free from pornography in the 90s, they said, give it a little bit of time. He'll just be like everybody else. He went to a revival. He went to a good church service. He came to an altar call. He must have did something like that. Give a little time. He'll just be like the rest of us. Six months from now, he'll be just like the rest of us going through the the, the merry-go-round of sin. Oh, I, oh, Lord, I feel so bad. I looked at pornography. Oh, but you know what? I want to go to bighooters.com again. Oh, here I've sinned again. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, but you know what? I feel lonely right now. I got to go think of that old memory that I had. Oh, you know that just give it enough time, you'll be back on the... No, no, no. The devil's a liar. Look at what Jesus said. Amen. Go up to verse 31. Jesus said, these, these are my real disciples. If you hold to my teachings, you will be really my disciples. Then you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will what? Set you free, or in the King James, make you free. Well, hold on, Pastor. I thought I'd make myself a better Christian by all the good works that I do. That's not what it said. It's by the knowing of the truth that you become free. Any person here at any stage of Christianity that is having a battle over your sin and your behavior will not be changed by your behavior modification. It doesn't matter what Tony Robinson shouts at you at one of those uh, motivational events. It doesn't matter how much Oprah Winfrey tells you to look inside yourself. It does not matter. The spiritual soul is only impacted... By the two forces that God has allowed us to have in our choice, good and evil. And evil is the default until you believe in Christ. And notice that. You believe in Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever, what, believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That transforms Everything. When you have the mind of Christ, you can't have stinking thinking. So now you might say, well, pastor, you've been free from pornography. Good job. But what, you know, what about the other sins that you've committed since being a Christian? What about those areas you've dealt with? Well, it's the same struggle. It's the same thing. Do I believe I'm free or not? Do I be- believe I'm free from my temper or do I make an excuse and go, oh, I'm Italian. This is how we act. I was raised this way. What other people called yelling, my mom called talking. Seriously. My friend down the block in the suburbs, and how many know that, you know, you down the block in the suburbs, that could be like in a whole nother place, you know. I mean, that's like half a mile down there. My friend all the way down at the cul-de-sac said he could hear my mom yelling at me on summer days because we had windows open. I hear your mom yelling at you where I live, man. Seriously, that's what he told me. Well, does that mean I get to do that now? Does that mean I get to use that excuse? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. If I struggle with my temper today, it's not because of my genetics, though I might be predisposed to that. That's why, uh, of course, science doesn't back up any of this transgender, homosexual nonsense. But even if you were born that way, Jesus said, be born again. Where are we confused on the gospel message, right? So the idea is knowing the truth and the truth sets you free. And then in verse 34, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it doesn't matter what sin you give into, you become a slave to that because you have it backwards. You're living according to your flesh as opposed to the spirit. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. That's why you have to crucify the flesh. So at any point in my life, it doesn't matter what hook the devil puts in me at this stage of my life. If I begin to sin, if I make excuses for it, the devil will make me a slave to sin. Sin will deceive you. And keep you longer than you ever thought you would be in it. And it will cause you to do things you never thought you would do. But look at verse 35. But that's a slave, and it has no permanent place in the family. When you're a slave to sin, you don't belong in God's house. You're not going to be there. Uh, for, you're not going to see God's house very long. You're going to be judged and getting the boot kicked out. But a son belongs to it for how long? Forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, those who say, Well, I'm in sin and I can't get out of this sin, there's nothing that I can do, they're a slave to sin and they won't belong in the Father's house. That's what Jesus said. Can I hear an amen to that? So, this idea, Well, nobody's perfect. And, and what they mean by that is, Well, I'm just going to keep making mistakes and using Jesus' forgiveness to be forgiven, but there'll be no transformation. And the Bible's very clear. Go to Hebrews 10 26, please. The Bible's very clear that that understanding, that kind of like merry go round I gave you, Is actually a sign you're not saved if we deliberately keep on sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God how many know God takes holiness pretty serious I always say this to people because we always got new people in the church do not get it twisted because we're in jeans and hoodies we are a holiness church it is holiness or hell in Jesus name But here is the good news. We're not focused on whether or not women are wearing dresses or keeping their hairs in buns or what kind of music you listen to or if you dance every now and then. No, what we're concerned with is have you received the righteousness of God and freedom from sin? The black and white sins of the Bible. Go to Galatians chapter 5, 19. We're not arguing about whether or not you can watch a movie, whether or not you can play sports. These are what Pentecostals used to argue with back, you know, with each other over, you know, back in the day. Could you play cards? Uh, Could you do these various things? No, the Bible says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, all three of those have to do with your sexual life. Then idolatry, witchcraft, which witchcraft also includes drugs. That's pharmakia because in the seances, in the practice of the witchcraft, they did drugs. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension. See, this doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you like to do the bachata or the merengue or dance salsa with your friends. You know what I'm saying? Come on. I know still some Christian denominations that don't even allow dancing. But then they're hypocrites and they dance all the time. Well, just don't tell my pastor. Don't tell my bishop. See, that's what religion will do. Religion will make hypocrites out of people. This is what you need to avoid. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will still get to go to heaven because they told Jesus I'm sorry once. No, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what about a deathbed confession like the thief on the cross? What about others who truly mean it? God is gracious and he's merciful, but he's not going to be played by you. The thief on the cross really meant it. Remember me when you get to paradise. He wasn't just saying that prayer after he slept with his girlfriend. Oh, Lord, if I die before I wake, take my soul, you know, and all this. And then get up the next day and do the thing over again. Do you understand there's a difference? How many think God is smarter than your, your boss? How many Your boss wouldn't let you get away with that. Why well, saw you stealing from me today. Oh, yeah, boss, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. You come back to work, steal from him again. Okay, boss, I'm sorry. Let me go back to work. I won't get caught stealing again. How many know Jesus is smarter than a drug dealer? A pimp wouldn't let that happen. A drug dealer wouldn't let that happen. But then people say, oh, that's mercy. That's God. No, that's not God's mercy. God has never played with that. Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. First John chapter 3, verse 9. God is serious about sin. Sin determines, sin will show you what's in your heart. No one who is born of God will what? Continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Now make it plain for me, John. I do not know if I got it. Well, amen. That's why there's verse 10, brothers and sisters. This is how you will know. Well, we don't judge anybody. No, he said make a judgment. This is how you will know who children of God are and who children of the devil are. This is how you'll know. Amen. This is how you'll know. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother and sister. That's why racists go to hell. You can't say you love God and be a racist. Going back to our scripture, please. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So you could say it in the opposite. Babies who knew no sin became the death of sin because of what Adam did. You see what I'm saying? What Adam did became on children. We were all born in sin, the Bible says. David said, surely in my mother's womb, but I was shaped in iniquity. Now, this doesn't mean it's the child's fault. That's Hinduism, by the way. Hinduism believes that children are born with deformities and health issues because of previous sins. Okay? And that's even what some of the disciples believe. Oh, when we see this crippled man, Jesus, who sinned? Him or his parents? You know, that's how they thought. But brothers and sisters, we don't believe in that thing called karma. We believe in the justice of God, but notice how the justice and the mercy of God kiss at the cross. Though we didn't do anything to deserve the punishment that Adam had, we didn't do anything to deserve the blessing that Jesus has. So now do you see why Christianity is so different than all the other world's religions? The world religions would say, oh, if you want to be right with Allah, you better do these five prayers. Hinduism will say, you want to be white with Brahma, you better become a vegan, you better become a vegetarian, and then if you talk to the Roman Catholics who have a Christian background but have veered off quite a bit, they say, well, you got to do this and you've got to do that, and then all these religions, you put it together, they're just telling you to do, 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 and there's just a bunch of do, do. There's just a bunch of your own works going out there trying to change the world, trying to change yourself. And you can't. You can only do so much. The Bible even says, can you change one color of your hair? Now a sister might say, oh yeah, pastor, I do that about twice a month. But that's not what he's talking about. If you can go get your hair did and you have the color chain and get it dyed. He's talking about just by thinking about it, can you now change your color? Of course not. And just by thinking about it, can you give yourself an extra day, an extra minute of life? Of course not. We, 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 we think we control a lot, but we really control so little. So all of this working that we're doing, as one person said, is like rearranging the furniture on the Titanic on its way down. Okay, well look at this Hindu monk over here. Okay, well they don't lust anymore. They don't, you know, get drunk anymore. They're on this mountain range like the Buddhists there over here. Okay, I've been to those. I've been to Nepal. I've seen the monasteries. They're beautiful. I appreciate that discipline. I don't want to be quiet for, for three years and take a vow of celibacy and not eat meat. How many are glad you could do all that and still be Holy Ghosted? Amen. Filled with Jesus, the real God of the universe. But they'll, they'll do all of these works and all of these things. But guess what? they soul is still as lost as it was before they tried any of that, because just talking, uh, stop talking doesn't, doesn't change your soul. Not having sex, being celibate doesn't change your soul. We're talking about from the inside. Everybody say from the inside. That's why Jesus, said. just show it everybody quickly, please, in John 3, verse 3, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, that religious man at that time, he said, how can a person be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb. How many know i got to make my joke right here? Those have been around a while. How many know that would be a scary moment for Nicodemus' mom that day? Hey, mom, open up. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back. Why? Well, Jesus said I had to be born again. Again, here I come. That, That would be painful, wouldn't it? It wouldn't work. But that thing about this, that's your most religious guy of that day. That's his best answer. That is your Deepak Chopra answer here. It's I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go perform something in the flesh. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go on a diet. And this doesn't give excuses for us to be obese in the church. As one man said, the reason why I'm a pastor, a fat pastor, is because my mom told me all I could do was go to church and eat after church. So now I became a fat pastor. Listen, that's not all your options are in life. Amen? That's not all your options are. But, But how many know just eating right, doing physical exercises, doesn't change the inside? You know that. How many know that? How many have lost weight before, but you still messed up? And I don't know what's going on with all my friends, some of these ladies. You got to pray for my old high school friends and friends I used to have around the church. These women get divorced and then they get on workout plans and start showing everything on Facebook what their mama gave them. I don't know if they're just desperate housewives now wanting attention. But I'm telling you what, I don't care how much now you have been reborn from your divorce. You've lost weight, and now you're just so happy, and you want all the boys to look at you. It does, you're still, if you're not right with God on the inside, you're still a nasty little sinner. And I'm not trying to pick on them. Praise God. They, they probably do deserve better in life. I'm not saying that they can't do all that and be wonderfully happy, okay? I'm just saying, but in their mind, they think that's reborn, I'm reborn now. I'm better looking now. I got some work done on me. I I did stuff for myself. I never took time for myself. You'll hear people talk like that. That's not how you're changed. What does Jesus say in John chapter 3, verse 5? Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of what? Water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to what? Flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That's what we're talking about, real transformation, real inner birth, just like the water breaking as the natural uh, child is born in the birth canal. The spirit water comes in and washes you as you come out into the world, brand new, a new creation imputed with the righteousness of God. Amen? So that's how you'll live free, brothers and sisters. That's how I've lived free from some of these sins that has been such a demise to our generation is because I believe who God says I am, and I believe I can do what he said I can do. I'm no longer a wicked, uh, you know, naughty by nature sinner. I'm a born-again saint made in the image of Jesus Christ. It may not look like it right now, but on the inside, I'm a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Hallelujah. And, and, And it's not your right to judge when I get there as long as you see that I want to get there. You see, this is what the Bible says in in my vernacular. I may not be sinless today, but I sin less every day. Every day I'm learning to be more and more and more like him. And that's why you should be able to ask the people around you and say, how do you see me handling sin? How do you see me taking on the characteristics of my life that don't line up with the word of God? And good people in your life should be honest with you. And a testimony that I can bear before you today is that people around me can say, Joe, you're less angry, you're less touchy, you're more patient, you're more kind and gentle. Let's just go back to Galatians 5.21. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. These are the things that are growing as the sin is dying, as it's being counted as crucified. But Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you see that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? So I, I can't control myself. I just can't control myself. We'll get self-control. Think about it. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's a fruit. You don't see a fruit today coming out like in the oranges because we don't have anything around here. But in Florida, they still got oranges on trees. You don't see the orange coming out from the tree going, mm, I just want to do it. If I try harder, I could become an orange. Here I am. You see them grow naturally. You see, as it was for you naturally in your sinful nature to sin is how it should be now naturally for you to have self-control. That's why, believe it or not, these discussions about whether or not Christians can have demons and all this always comes back to what are you even calling a Christian? Are you calling a Christian to somebody who comes to church on Christmas and Easter? Of course those Christians can have demons. They don't know Jesus But I'm talking about can a born-again believer filled with the Holy Ghost have a demon? No, Jesus is not sharing his condo with that devil. Amen. Jesus got that condo all to himself. Amen. Well, in this one little part of my heart, I got Jesus. But over here, I got the devil. Got the devil in me. Yeah, well, let me just tell you what's happened. That devil in you made you think you had Jesus because he's a liar. So you don't have Jesus. All you got is the devil. So let's get the devil out and get you all of Jesus. Amen. And so the blessing of God is that, well, how does an 18-year-old mean, November 5th, 1995, how do I get control over drugs? That's what I was on. You know, those were my sins. How do I get control over my tongue? I used to curse all the time, addiction, smoking, and so forth. Well, I let the fruit of the Spirit develop in my life. I don't resist God. I resist the flesh. And this is where I believe, brothers and sisters, in this church, that you are not as dumb as the world would make you out to be. See, the world wants to treat you dumb so that they can sell you their book, get you to go to their self-help, and treat you like you don't know this. But you see, the Bible says you've already been given a conscience. And you know something's not right. So why would you go back inside to try to fix something that's not right? That's like a broken computer trying to fix itself. That's like a heart surgeon with cancer or a a heart surgeon with a a corrupt heart trying to give himself a heart transplant. Let me just cut this thing open, take it out, and then let me just put it right back in here. Somebody said that stupid is a stupid does. Or another illustration, because I know sometimes we don't get it. It's like you have an AIDS and going, okay, I'm going to give myself a blood transfusion. Okay, left arm, pump blood into the left, the right arm. See, the world wants us to be stupid. The, the Bible says they're foolish. They're blind. I mean, think about the, how the Bible says, we love them. We've all been there. But the Bible says they're the blind leading the blind. They don't even know what makes them stumble, and they're all going off the cliff. I'm not saying they don't bump into truth every now and then, but that's not where we're going. You want freedom? Be born again. Accept the righteousness of Jesus. Believe it. Everybody say this with me. I am who God said I am. I can do all that he said I can do. Brothers and sisters, you believe that. You speak the word over your life. You'll see that sin is powerless. Can a mosquito make you do something today? That's what sin will look like to you is like a mosquito. It's still there. It's still there. You'll, you'll hear it buzzing. How many know what I'm talking about? In the Midwest, we definitely have it almost like a state bird around here sometimes. It's our mosquitoes, you know, and, and they just, bzzz, and they'll be annoying. But when they come, what do you do? Just boom. Done. Done. What did Jesus say? Lead me not into temptation. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And what does it say next? Amen. And to lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. Or in another translation, deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the kingdom, amen? That's what we're like as Christians. We may be tempted. We may hear the mosquitoes buzzing around us, but they're not our addictions. They don't have control over us. They don't have the power to lead us wherever they want. They can't drag you into sin. Well, I, you know, I was drugged into sin and I fell into sin. No, when you look back at that moment, if we had a reality camera on you, you didn't fall into sin. You climbed up the high dive of sin, jumped on the board a few times, decided to do a triple, a triple flip into the sin. That's what we do. Let's be honest. We're not as dumb as the world says we are. We know what we do when we sin, That's why I love that show, How to Catch a Predator. Did anybody ever watch that with Chris Hansen? I hate the sin and the sinners that are there and how they behave. I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. I want to be clear on that. But I, I loved it for this reason, because it showed you how stupid people want you to think they are. Well, Hello, I'm Chris Hansen. Oh, Chris Hansen, I didn't know you would be here, but I'm so glad you are. I found this young boy or young lady online, and I was helping them through their sexual curiosity. I've come here to teach them sex ed. And you brought whipped cream, and then you did this, and you brought pot, because we see it's in your bag, you know. And then they'll just go on and on and on. That's why the Bible says they're liars, and we were liars. Living in our own lie. Think about it. The opposite of the truth is a lie. The devil is the father of lies. Those who don't love God live in the lie. They live in deception. And they make excuses. Well, I tried that. And this is the, the, You hear it all the time. Well, I tried that Jesus stuff. I came to church, pastor. I even let you pray for me one time, and it didn't work. Listen to me, liar, liar, pants on fire. Something between here, the altar, your confession, whatever you did the next day didn't line up with that born-again stuff. Because I, just like you, was tore up from the floor up, needed to check up from the neck up. I was busted and disgusted. But when I made it to that altar, when I said a prayer of faith, I got my life turned right side up. I got my frown turned upside down. By the grace of Jesus Christ, I got a new pep in my step. Hallelujah. I got high on the most high. So you're going to tell me now I'm better than you? Well, I worked harder at it than you. I didn't do put in any more work than you. I just worked the word. You were out doing something else. You called it religion. You were out in your flesh. You were making excuses, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. I remember some sins dropped off quickly, and others, it took me time to believe that they could drop off. Smoking was one of them. I, did, I, I haven't done drugs since that day, except, you know, prescription or whatever had been given to me by the doctor. But smoking, you know, I hung around a little bit. And then I heard the Lord say to me, do you want to be free? And I'm like, yes. And so he said, throw out your cigarettes. And then I just ignorantly threw them out the window while I was driving my car. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, I didn't tell you to litter. You could have you waited till you got home and put it in the trash. But I literally, I just threw them right out the window. Just, there they go. There go my cigarettes. So now I don't got any cigarettes, but then I'm hanging around. I'm delivering pizza, and then with after, you know, a few days, all my guys, they're smoking. I start bumming cigarettes, and the Lord says, you don't believe me because if you believed me, you would stop bumming cigarettes, and I'll just be honest. This is what it looks like sometimes for you to believe God. Sometimes you got to get alone just with you and God and resolve it in your heart. So I was in my bedroom laying face down. And I was just crying, and I was and I was feeling sorry for myself. I was like, I, I know you've set me free from this other stuff. And as the old-timers used to say, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. And that was before vaping made you smell like cotton candy. Now now you can smell like anything with the vape, you know. But back then, you would definitely smell like the exhaust pipe of a car. We smoked Marlboros and things like that. Okay, so so I know I'm not going to hell. Like, I know I'm going to heaven. And here's, here's a good spot to compromise, right? Like, I'm still going to heaven. All the bad stuff is gone. I can be the good person. God calls me to be, and uh, but I'm laying there on my on my floor, and I'm just crying, and I'm saying, Jesus, but I don't want to do this because you told me not to do, it, and you said I could be free, and that one of the gifts of the uh, the fruit of the Spirit is self control. So Jesus, I want it, but it's not working. And then this is what the Lord told me, and I, and see, this is where it gets personal. Everybody say it's personal. You see, it's a personal relationship between you and God. See, it's not religion. It's not pray five times towards Mecca and hope something changes. It's not go to the priest and confess to Father Tom. No, it's not go to the water-stained bridge and think that's the the virgin of Guadalupe and put a flower under there. No, it's it's personal. Go back to the, oh, there it is. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the what? The Spirit, let us what? Keep in step. with the Spirit. So where's the Spirit walking in your life? Where's the Spirit taking you? So there I am on my bedroom floor, tears in my eyes, doing my best, and now I have a decision to feel sorry for myself and go back to my old worldly ways or to hear where the Lord is stepping. And then this is what he told me. He said, if you never put another cigarette in your hand, that's your part, you never touch it, I'll take the desire out of your heart. I will calm your nerves and you will watch what I will do. And it took everything that I had to trust him, but I just trusted him the next day. And then there was one day I, I went without smoking. And how many know if you can go one day, you can go 100 days, you can go 1,000 days? And now it's been over 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 days since 95. See God is able. You just have to trust him. For, for some of you, as I've told before, he's going to tell you things that you may not even understand. One of the things God told me to do was take out my hoop earrings. And we got all kinds of uh, people in the church with earrings, piercings, tattoos. That's between them and the Lord. Some may say it's personal. But for me, God said, take out earrings. Stop listening to this kind of music. Stop watching TV. I didn't even feel a peace in my heart to watch TV again for eight years. Because after you get free from it, you don't even want to go back. I didn't even see a reason to. The Lord will start to tell you, you know, remove yourself from this situation. Stop looking at that. And the heart will begin to change. The mindset changes. And then what you thought was unbeatable, what you thought was like going to always mark your life, you'll see that it doesn't. And God will be faithful. How many know he's faithful? Amen. I don't know if I have time to preach this next sermon. Let me just preach this one a little bit longer then we'll call it a day, amen, because I think some of you want some more prayer, because now we're going to pray not only for those that have had lust issues, but we're going to pray for all the other issues, amen. We're going to walk out of here, holy people. Go back with me to 1 John, just a few more moments. Thank you for coming. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the church, but I just felt so led of the Lord to talk about that. Go to 1 John chapter 2. And understand where all sin comes from. Like we know it comes from Adam and Eve, but you have to know in your flesh how it's triggered. Look at First John chapter 2, verse 15. It's triggered out of our love. And this is the thing that we don't understand is everybody loves something. They just don't always love the right thing. Notice what the Bible says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And that sounds contradicting to John three sixteen that we already quoted because it said, God so loved the what? World, but then first John chapter 2, 15 says, do not love the? Lord. Contradiction. No compliment. Normally when you read the scriptures on a surface level, you don't get the depth of it, so you got to reread it and take your time. In John three sixteen, what kind of world is Jesus talking about he loves? People. People. People of the world. Us. Man, woman, and child. When John's talking here about not loving the world or anything in the world, what do you think he's talking about? The sin, the things of the world that the non biblical viewpoint adopts as their mindset. He's not talking about not loving people, he would be contradicting himself because we've already read in First John when we were in chapter one, uh, chapter three, verse nine, where it says, You got to love your brother and sister. How many know your brother and sister are in the world? Amen. So, the world he's talking about is not people, the world he's talking about right here is the world of sin. Now, let's see if that Uh, helps us as we continue on if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them for everything in the world now does he lift off people or does he lift off list off sins he's going to list off sins for everything in the world as he's defining it here is the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the pride of life this comes not from the father but from the what From the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives for how long? Forever. Amen. I want you to notice the duality here, the temptation you will have with love. Will you love God or will you love the world? Will you love the holiness of God or will you love your sin? That's why sometimes when I talk to people about their sin and they'll hear this kind of what we call as a classical holiness message, they'll say, well, well, I don't know what to do because these temptations are so real. I think I, I, I don't love them, but why do I like to do them so much? And then I help them to understand there's a difference between loving your sin and being tempted with sin. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You better learn this. Now, the fact that many of you didn't is, is the reason why I got to preach a little bit. But I'm going to say it again. There is a difference between loving your sin and being tempted by your sin. How many know I as a pastor, as a man, how many know I can be tempted to cuss somebody out and get in a fight? In traffic, uh, you know, preaching the gospel so they can get in my face, you know. Like how many know that's a temptation? But do I love it? No, I don't love it because I'm a Christian. I don't love cussing somebody out. Thank God I haven't since I got in my last fight, and I wish I could say it was before I was a Christian, but it was while I was a Christian. Yes, I got into a fight as a Christian. I came to church with a black guy, and they prayed for me, but I did win. You had to see the other guy, half kid. But yeah, it was funny. I was a Christian. I got into a fight. I cussed him out. We fought. I spoke in tongues as well, man. I was like, I don't know how to handle this situation, but I'm going to do my best, put a little world in here, put a little Holy Ghost in here, let's see where we end up. But now I look back at that and I'm like, oh, there was 101 ways to avoid that. Now, sometimes you can't avoid a fight. Self-defense is not always wrong. We've talked about that here. There's such thing as a just war. Turning the other cheek has to do with those who are offended by you. That is not an assault by someone who wants to molest, hurt, or harm you. If you look at the Jewish court, they slapped Jesus. They slapped Paul. That's what it was. The other kind of of offense against you or your children would be in a just cause for uh, defense to fight and defend the innocent. But now listen to me everyone's going to love something. They're going to love the things of God. or They're going to love the world. So I talk to that person, and I say to them, well, do you love your sin in the sense of if you could do it and get away with it, you would do it. And that's why, Christians, we got to be careful about how we talk even about our testimonies. You know, why well, I used to fight all the time. Boy, and if I could, I would still do it right now. Some of y'all need to be slapped. You know, and they'll joke, and I get it because I've joked that way. Too, but we, we better be very careful because what you're basically saying is I'm righteous now, and I affirm the blood of Jesus to make me clean. But at a, temp- a certain kind of a temptation, I'll spit on the cross, act just like a child of the devil. And so we got to be careful if we glorify sin, even in our humor. We need to be careful because as a man thinketh, so is he. And in the, in the power of words is life and death, the Bible says. As you talk, you're bringing life or death into your spiritual life. This is not just superstition. This is reality. And so think about it. Let's just be honest. Those of us who are already Christians here, have you distinguished in your soul the difference between being tempted and loving the sin? Because you cannot be forgiven and set free by, uh, by God when you love your sin. Jesus forgives. See, everybody thinks forgiveness is owed to them. No, forgiveness is the grace and gift of God. You don't deserve any bit of it. But the fact that he gives it is amazing. But here's how it comes. It comes through repentance, metanoia in the Greek, to change your mind and your behavior. You put the same action that you did towards the sin, towards not doing the sin. That's why I always give this example when people say, oh, I just can't help but go to BigHooters.com. Why don't you go to Bible.org? It's less letters. B i b i l e dot, dot org is it in Big O-H-O-O-U-T. You, you get what I'm saying? This, you you had you the energy to keep going all the way down to that one. You have, well, what's on my phone? I can go to the OnlyFans app. Why don't you go to the Bible app? You're not dumb, and I won't let you convince me that you are. You're a sinner that loves your sin. That's what's happening. And then you feel convicted and I've been there and then you make excuses and say, "Oh, the devil made me do it." No, it's what you loved. It's what you loved. It's what your heart desired down deep inside. And I can show you this for every sin that the Bible's ever called a sin. In other words, I want you guys to see this because this is where the devil will try to come and whisper in your ear and say, pss, pss, pss. "Isn't God unfair?" Isn't God unjust? He asks you not to do things that you like so much, and yet he knows you can't stop, and he's willing to send you to hell over it. Isn't God so unfair? See, that's what religion will do. Religion will make God out to be the devil. You know, because I understand you climb the stairs of the St. Basilica or wherever you go to Rome, you do all that. I understand when you get to the top, you won't be changed. And you might think to yourself, that priest lied to me. Or if you pray five times towards Mecca, or you do the crooked vegan chicken with the Hindus at, at, at your yoga class, and you're still coming out. I understand how that might make you think God's not there to help you. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not how he taught us. How he taught us was to repent of our sins to hate them the way he hates them. So here's a quick heart check for everybody here today. How many of you are forgiven of all known sin? Raise your hand if you're forgiven of all known sin, okay? Those of you who are not, you need to become born again. Ask Jesus to forgive you of all known sin, or if you're a Christian struggling with sin, stop hiding it and ask God to forgive you. Okay, now here's the question I want to ask next, all those who raised your hands. All of you who have said, I have repented of all known sin the Holy Spirit has brought before me right now, if I put you on a lie detector test, would all of you pass this question? I hate that sin and don't want to go back to it. See, I hate my sin. I don't, I, that time I lost my temper with my kids, I don't want to go back to that. I don't ever want to do that. I'm not sitting here trying to figure out a way to go back to that. That lie that I spoke, that thing that I did, and, and yes, have I lied as a pastor? Yes, one time I did. It's one known lie. I'm not talking about being nice to somebody. You eat their food at their table, and they go, how do you like it? Mm, oh, it's good. Oh, man, come on, somebody help me eat this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I told a full-on lie, like I lied. I was, um, I don't even know why I should tell you this. Now some of y'all want to hear it. Everybody pull out your camera and record the pastor when you lie, but put it on Facebook. Now, I've told this before, but the long story short is I'm doing ministry in New Orleans. We're using a bus to take the inner city kids to church. I had thought to myself I could go buy a bus and drive it without a CDL. I found out you couldn't do that. Even if nobody was in it, you weren't allowed to drive a bus like that because it had the passenger seats in it. I guess maybe if you take out the seats, it's different. So I went all the way. I think the Mississippi or Alabama, one of those places, bought the the thing with my friend. He drove my car back, and I'm driving back the bus. And so I'm thinking to myself, I just go to the DNV and just get the license now to do the thing. You know, I didn't think it was like that big of a deal. So I go there, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm here to get my CDL license so I can drive this bus. How do I sign up? And do it. I'm just thinking like I'm getting a, a parking permit or something. They're like, well, you got to take a test. I'm like, I gotta take a test to drive that? They're like, oh, yeah, take this test. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it. And I'm like thinking to myself, it's going to be like a driving test. Like I, I have a driver's license. What do you do with the right turn signal when you want to turn right? You know, what do you do all this? So long story short, I miserably failed the CDL driver's license test. And then they look at me and they say, well, that's not your bus, is it? <laughs> And I go, well, yeah, that is my bus, but I, I'm not driving it. My friend's driving it. I full-on lied as a pastor. And here's where it even gets worse. The friend that I pointed to was a homeless man I was helping to stay with me. <laughs> the man didn't even have a license. I'm like, that's the man driving. He's like waving back. What's the pastor? All right, wave back a pastor. <laughs> So she's like watching me. I don't want to see you drive that off the lot. And so I'm like, okay, I won't drive it off the lot. I get into the car and I'm like, listen to me, Tyrone, you driving the bus. Now I get somebody else to lie. How many know sins going to do way more to you than you ever thought? I'm lying through my teeth. I got now Tyrone who don't even have a license driving this. He's like, what you talking about, Pastor? I ain't even got a license. I'm like, Tyrone, listen to me. If you want to eat tonight, you better get, you just better just put this bus and drive and we're just going to wave to this woman right here. Drive it off this lot. God had to forgive me of how many sins? If you count, what, 20 sins? I had to get forgiven of so many sins. I've never lied again since then. God convicted me. But if you ask me today, do I want to do that again? I mean, it's a funny story, but we're laughing at the fool, the fool that I was, right? Do I want to do that again? Never. I don't ever want to do that. Do I want my children to do like that? That's all you got to do is ask yourself, parents, do I want my children to be just like me at my worst days? No, so you better show them in your worst days how to get on your knees, get on their knees and repent because that's what you do. Your kids are going to be there when you sin and mess up. That's true. But you know what they can also learn? They, 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 they're not going to learn how to do the bad thing. If you teach them how to do the right thing, they'll learn how to repent. So these are the three things. Now think about this. Those three ways of describing what the world is actually go back to Adam and Eve in temptation. Remember when Satan came to tempt them? What does he do? Lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, this will make us like God. It looks good to the eating. I can get away with it and feel good. Now, fast forward to Jesus. What Adam and Eve failed at doing, go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus shows us how to pass the test. Those three temptations, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are the very temptations that Jesus got. Everybody go, oh, snap. You just learned something, didn't you? Some of you didn't know that. Why didn't the devil tempt him four times? Why didn't the devil tempt him ten times? He tempted him three times according to the same temptations of John and that the, uh, uh, Adam and Eve faced in the garden. Now look at the temptations of Jesus here. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread after he's been fasting. That's the lust of the what? Lust of the flesh. Right there. There's his lust right there. Jesus had to weaken himself to 40 days of not eating to even make it fair to us to look to him as an example. Everybody get this, because otherwise you will think Jesus does not understand you, like somehow he was Superman. No, he came in the flesh, just like us, but still being in his identity God. But he weakened himself so much that he said, when I get tempted, I want to be at the weakest possible state. Some people can't even go 40 days without eating. This is like the weakest a human could be. And Jesus says, now I'm going to show you how to do what Adam and Eve couldn't do. The point of Jesus here is not for us all go, oh, Jesus, you know, like Hercules, Hercules, like Jesus. The point isn't just to applaud Jesus here. This is to understand the Lord's prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And it's like, Jesus, you first. And he's like, all right, boys, watch this. I won't eat for 40 days. I'll be out in the wilderness, and I'm going to show you how to defeat that devil. Because he's just a mosquito. If you don't give him any more power, he is just a mosquito over you. How many know we stomp on his head in Jesus' name? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Does anybody believe they're more than a conqueror? This is your Jesus showing you how it's done. Hands tied behind his back. I'll still take you on, devil. Okay. So the devil says to him, hey, man, I know you got power. You can make this right now, these stones into bread, because God gave him manna in the desert. I know you can do this right now. But what does Jesus say? It is written. He quotes the word of God. It is written. So how do we now fight the temptations that come natural to our flesh? To love things that God told us not to love. To lust after things God told us not to lust at. To have pride over things we're not supposed to have pride about. How do we combat those temptations when the mosquito comes? We say back the word of God. We let the word of God transform our stinking thinking into the mind of Christ. It's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on perversion. Man shall not live on greed. Man shall not live on hatred. Man shall not live on, in jealousy. That rots the soul. But the word of God feeds the soul. Number two, the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, I will give you all their authority and splendor because they have been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, all will be yours. Which kind of temptation is he coming at him right here? Lust of the eyes. You see all this, Jesus? Now, notice this the story within the story. He says, see all this, Jesus? It has been given to me, and I can give it to who I want to. How did Satan get all the kingdoms of the world? From Adam and Eve. When God created them, he said, I have given you dominion. So when they sinned and fell into his trap, he gave, uh, Adam gave dominion back to the devil, or gave it over to the devil, rather. And then Jesus comes and then takes it back, amen? But notice this, Jesus doesn't say that's a lie. He doesn't say you don't have authority. He knows that he does. As a matter of fact, this will come back up again when Jesus is fixing to get crucified. And he says, if there's any possible way, take this cup from me. Why does he say that? Because he knows this is the only way I get the kingdoms of the earth. But how does he overcome it again? Not my will, but your will be done. He understood I am not getting this the easy way. Here's how you get free from your sin. You count it as dead. That's the only way you get out of it. You can't say to yourself, I wish I could get away with it. You can't look at it as something that's cute and cuddly. You have to see it for what it is. It's a vicious enemy against your soul. Remember with Cain and Abel? And and, and Abel had the right sacrifice, but Cain didn't. And then his face is downcast, and then God meets with Cain, and he says, don't you see, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have mastery over you. But if you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. You see, sin was there crouching over Cain. He, he wasn't just taken over by murder. Don't let people tell you you're a mere animal living by instinct. You have a choice. And God is pleading with him do the right thing, Cain. And Cain doesn't, he gives into his sin. It's the same thing. You, Jesus right there could have gave into it. Who, who could even imagine what kind of world that would have been? The devil takes over everything. Beyond this world because notice Jesus would have gotten this world But Satan would have had the other ages in the other worlds because remember he was going to make a trade there But before we go down into the sci-fi realm of what would have happened if Jesus worshiped the devil Let's stick with actually did happen. How many are ready for what happened? Say that the first three words in red right there It is written one more time like you mean it. It is written devil worship the Lord your God and serve him only You see how the temptation is met with the word of God Hey, look at this. And you even hear this sometimes about rappers and musicians and actors and all this. Give me all of this and then I'll serve you, devil. You know, like that, that kind of trading for your soul comes from here. But think about this. You're not going to trade, listen, you're not going to trade your loneliness for a boyfriend or girlfriend that God hasn't sent you. Well, I don't want to be lonely anymore, so I want to be with that boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not going to trade your purpose for a higher paying job if that's not God's will for your life. You're not going to trade your prayer life so that you can go out with the boys more. Normally, you pray on Saturdays from 8 to 10, but you know what? You're not going to do that because now they want to start up a new thing going on. No, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get up and pray from 6 to 8 now. Amen. Sometimes people say, well, I'm so busy I can't pray. No, you're too busy not to pray. If you're that busy, you better get up another hour early so that you can pray and set your mind on Jesus and not lose your mind through the stress. So... So, so Jesus teaches them, no, this is what, what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my father first. I'm going to worship him first. So what do you do in times of temptation? Yeah, did, did Jesus physically, emotionally want to go to the cross? No, he even said he didn't want to. He knew that would be pain. He, once again, he's not coming as Superman. He's relating to us. No one would want to do that by the flesh and what the flesh wants. But what did he say? The spirit is willing. Uh, But this flesh is weak. I'm going to do what my spirit wants, what God wants me to do. And brothers or sisters, don't trade like how it says in the Bible, like uh, Esau did. Don't change your birthright for a bowl of beans. There was a man in the Bible that had an inheritance that would be worth billions of dollars. But one day he was hungry and his brother said, I'll give you my beans if you give me your inheritance. Somebody say stupid is a stupid does. Come on, but how often do we see church people doing this all the time? They take the trade of the devil. Oh, I'll take a little bit of OnlyFans. Well, I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of anger. I'll take a little bit of jealousy. What, just for a temporary pleasure and lose the eternal reward of heaven? The Bible says what does it gain a whole man to get the whole world? yet yeah, forfeit their soul. What is it? What does it profit them? It's not even wise when you think about it in reality. Heaven is forever. Our pleasures are only temporary. How many know Hugh Heffer if he didn't repent? He's in hell. It doesn't matter how much of men's uh, fantasies he's lived out. How many know Marilyn Monroe if she didn't repent? She's in hell. But it doesn't matter how beautiful she was to the whole world. That's where she is today. What difference does it make? To have it just for a few moments yet to lose it. But hold on, just, just before you get this, uh, before you miss this, because sometimes what, what people think Jesus is saying here by worshiping the Lord and, and serving Him is, is just going to church and then just being religious. No, the Bible says, In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. How many have ever got high off Jesus before? How many know it's better than sex? Come on, I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to use the dirty language here, but I'll keep it PJ, PG. I love procreating with my wife, but a moment in God's presence is irreplaceable. It's, 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 it's incomparable. It's not even close. Why? Because sex is temporary and it only touches certain parts of me. But the inner, the the love of God, come on somebody, the peace of God, the joy of God, the acceptance of God, the mercy of God, the just, just knowing that he loves me. How many have felt God's love before at unexpected times? I've felt his love at unexpected times. I was watching something the other day, and it wasn't even related to God, but it just spoke to me about God's love for me and his, his, his care for me and how he's always been there. And I'm just looking at a YouTube video, and tears are streaming down my eyes, and I'm like, that's how God loves me. That's why I sometimes like when Christians put that together, you know, like, uh, like that one man is rescuing that sheep out of the pit, and then the next thing it does is it jumps and it goes right back into the pit, and somebody's like, that's me, I'm telling you, that hits me at the right time, tears will come streaming down my face, because how many of you have felt like that before? How many feel like if it was dependent upon you and the grace you give others to have it come back to you, you wouldn't have hardly anything to come back to you? Because we would be done with people. If, if God was treating us like the way we have treated us, we would be done with them already, yet God is so merciful, he's so kind he loves us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. All he wants us to do is to be in his kingdom. He said he wishes that none would perish. I mean, he pours out his heart even to the Jews about ready to crucify him. He said, I wish I could gather you together like a mother hen. He loved him, hallelujah. And then even on the cross, what does he say? Does he spit at him? Does he hurl insults back? He says, no, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I just want to encourage people here. Worshiping the Lord and serving him It's not boring. It's knowing on your job when you're going to work, you're doing this as unto the Lord, and he's there in that boring meeting. He's there when your coworkers say evil against you. He's guarding your heart when people use and abuse you. He's there at the divorce court. He's there at the bedside of your loved one when you're having to say goodbye. He's there at the funeral. Teenagers, as we prayed for you, he's there when peers have turned against you and left you and forsaken you and made fun of you and have put you all over Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. He's there saying, I still love you. That's what it means. I just want you to get that because C.S. Lewis spent a great deal of time talking about this and it's good that we understand he was a Christian philosopher, also also an author of A Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And he talked about so often we, we think that when we come into Christianity, we love less. Because remember we learned that there's two loves that we're facing. The love of the world and the love of God. And so now somehow we say well, we're going to love God less than we love the world. But that's not true. Those who love God have the most love. They're pouring it out the most. That's why we have so much we give it all away on the streets even to people who don't want it how many know the world only has a thimbleful and that's why they can only keep it for their four and no more the other day, I was going out to the abortion clinic, and there's the women who wear pink and, and these, you know, vests, and they lead the people in to abort their children. And they didn't see me uh, as they normally do because I wasn't wearing the shirt that they recognize us in because we normally wear a shirt out there. And so I just walked up to them, and I was like, hey, ladies, how are you doing? And they responded back to me. They smiled. They said, oh, we're doing great. We're doing good. And then they realized it was me. <laughs> oh, he got me. He made me act like a human. I'm supposed to be an angry animal. I'm an animal. I don't have emotions out here, except to hate. And then I said to them, you see the difference? And I like to mess with them sometimes. I say, see the difference between my guru and yours? I call Jesus my guru because they're part of the yoga pant-wearing cult. A lot of them love yoga, and they wear their you know, their, their little, what do they call those pants? <laughs> yoga pants, okay, yeah. They wear these little pants, and they think they're so smart because they go to yoga and all this. And I said, my guru teaches me to love better than your guru because your guru only teaches you, your master only teaches you to love those who agree with you, to only love those who bless you, to only invite over to your home those who agree with you. I said, but my Jesus tells me to bless those who curse. Jesus told me to pray for those who want to harm me, to pray for them. And Jesus told me to invite them over, to bring peace to them. There's a story of a lesbian professor and how she was one to the Lord uh, through her time of being invited over to the pastor's house that she met. And she said that the love of God that that man had for her was greater than any camaraderie or love she had had with her lesbian partner or all of those activists she would meet with in those fun times she would have. There was something about the pastor's table that showed her what it's like to sit down with Jesus Yeah, Jesus sat down with sinners, not to sin with them, but to see them transformed. Amen? Jesus was inclusive to everyone who wanted to come, but he was exclusive when it came to the only way to heaven was through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Daryl, can I have you up on the keyboard, please, as we get ready to close? And then the devil brings him to Jerusalem, the last temptation, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So imagine this. I mean, they're now standing at the height of this temple. This is either happening in a vision or they're literally flying and going places, depending on how uh, far out you believe the Bible is getting here. I believe it can happen either way. So there they are at the top of the temple, either in a vision or literally. And he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And now notice this. The devil brings out Scripture, for it is written. He got, see, the devil got hip to what was going on. Every time I say something to him, he brings back a Bible verse. Well, I'm now going to bring out my own Bible verse. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. First thing I want you to see here, well, let me ask you this. What temptation is this out of the three? The pride of life, isn't it? Because pride would say, I'm Jesus. I can fly and do whatever I want, jump off this building, and the angels will come get me. That's the first thing that we learn is that he's tempting him with pride. And notice how he backs up this temptation through the Scripture. How many have talked talked to a backslider before that have tried to use the Scripture to justify themselves? Well, don't you judge me. God said, thou shalt not judge he also said not to give what is precious to the dogs and pigs. How do I know which one those are? Right? So are you act like a pig or a dog right now because I'm supposed to make a judgment. And that's in that same passage. How about this? I won't judge you by a different standard than I'm being judged by. And that's what he's actually saying. How about that? Because then in John he says judge righteously, not by outward appearances. So the word is twisted. I've met backsliders all the time. Well, you know what, Pastor Joe? You know, it says that God so loved the world, and you know what? I know he loves me, and if homosexuality is wrong, I know that he'll forgive me on Judgment Day because I'm just doing my best. And I say to them, he loves you, but he hates your sin. Go to 1 John chapter 2, don't love the things of the world. See, I show them that. Or they'll say something like, oh, you know what? All these religions, they have so much in common, and so that must mean that God accepts them all the same. And we do agree they have many things in common, don't we? See, sometimes they'll get you to think about something from their point of view if you haven't already thought about it from the Bible's point of view. If the first time you hear about comparative religion is from Zeitgeist or somebody on the History Channel, that might mess you up. Learn about it first from the Bible. The reason why there's sacrifice in almost every world religion is because God taught them how to sacrifice. The reason why there's a moral code in every religion is because God gave them a moral code. Remember, when they left from Noah's flood and from the Tower of Babel, they took those traditions with them. That's why you've even seen similarities between the Incas and the Egyptians, how they know to build pyramids. Get into the Illuminati now. But they were learning things from devils as well. That's a whole other story because not only God was teaching them things, but I believe at the Tower of Babel, fallen angels was teaching them things. That's why you also see some of the same idolatry in their lives. But anyways, going back to that, well, aren't all of these religions the same? I mean, look, they all basically teach us the same thing. Then we say back to them, what? Hold on. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then Jesus said, I lay down my life and I take it back up again. Did any of those leaders, did they die on the cross for you? Did Aaron Ra die on the cross for you? Did Krishna die on the cross for you? Did Buddha die on the cross for you? So even though they have many things in common, there is only one way to receive salvation. They might be able to show you some things about culture and history that are in common, but there's only one way to the Father, and that's through His only begotten Son. No one else is like Him. Wow. Well, that sounds prideful. That sounds prideful. You ever had anybody tell you you were prideful because you believed Jesus was the only way? Do you all get out much and preach the gospel? Let's just ask that question again. Think about it cuz I know I've heard it all the time. I want you to think about this. Have you ever been said, "You're a bigot. You are the one that's 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 prideful because you believe Jesus is the only way." Come on. If anybody's ever preached for more than an hour, probably you've met somebody say that. Well, you're the one that's prideful. You're the one that's prideful. Well, hold on, am I? Am I? No, because think about it like this. I did not make the rules. And I'm following what he set up. Pride is to say you want to change the rules. This is what I said to my Hindu friend. He was my neighbor. Vinny and Dez used to uh, be, he rented the house with them After he moved away, he rented the house. Vivek, you remember him. He was the kind of guy that made that argument because he was raised in India, came to live in America. His father was a Hindu. He, he said, I'm proud to be a vegetarian. It was an older man. He's passed away now. And, and I said, oh, well, what's the goal with that? I'm like, where are you going with not eating meat and all of that? He said, well, my goal is to become an Aritarian. I only want to live off air. And I'm like, what will that do for you then? And he couldn't answer He literally just could not answer it. Same thing with my friend Vivek. He said, well, we go to these meditation retreats for three days. And he said, sometimes we will sit in one position for 12 hours. And so, you know, whenever somebody says something to you like that, you got to give them some reaction. So I was like, wow, okay, 12 hours. I, I can't do that. So what did you learn from that? God is my witness. What did you learn from that? Well, well, I had an itch, and I couldn't itch it because I said I wasn't going to move, and I learned that the itch goes away and that I have power over the itch. Wow. What a great lesson you learned. But we're the ones that are prideful. I'm prideful because I taught him about Jesus, and he wanted it to be everybody can do whatever they want. But yet he sits here and boasts that he went 12 hours without itching. The other one's boasting that they want to get to the point where they don't even live on anything about air. Who's the one really prideful here? I'm not the one that's prideful when I say, I am a wretched sinner deserving of hell. Jesus Christ, please come save me. You arguing with him is the pride. You thinking you're better than this. Well, I don't need Jesus. I just need to meditate and not scratch myself. And that's where you get back to the do, 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 do. No, brothers and sisters, don't have them tell you that's pride. Look at you. We have former uh, homosexual, lesbians, transgender in this church. Look at you. You're so prideful. You think you're better than us. We couldn't fix ourselves that way. We had to change our bodies and play Mr. Potato Head. How dare you judge us? What do you call the day you march? Oh, we call that pride fest, the pride march. Yeah, you're the one that's in pride. You love it you so much you named a march after it. Hello? I'm not boasting in my work that the Lord, that's what the person should say back. I'm not boasting in my work of accepting my gender. I'm not boasting in my discipline that now I don't lust after the, the same sex. I'm boasting in Jesus. Jesus made me a new creation. How many could say you were born the first time and you didn't do any work that time? Did any of you say to your mom, hey, mom, what you need from me over there? You need me to, you need me to slide out a little bit, move a little bit to left." Did anybody help the first time you were born? Now, why do we think we need help to help God the second time we're born? Being born again is the most humble and even humiliating thing you will ever do. I've seen men in this church confess pornography addictions for years. I've had women come to this church and confess that they haven't been alone since they've been a teenager, from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to baby daddy, baby daddy, baby daddy, baby daddy. I've had people come here and confess every addiction, every type of sin that we've, we've seen. And you know what? You know how they get free? Not by, hey, I'm in church. I sang in the choir. That's how I'm such a good Christian, on their knees. Tears coming down their eyes. You know how Isaiah got free weeping before God? How I get free from smoking on my face laid out on my carpet? God, I just want to live for you. Show me the way. It's not in our works that we're saved. It's by the grace of God. Don't put the Lord, your God, to test with your pride and say, Well, if God really wanted to set me free from drugs, then you know what? Then I'll never have a desire ever again. That's like me saying, if God wants to set me free from perversion, I'll never be a man again. How many know I still have temptation? Because I'm a man. I'm a healthy man. I don't want to get you guys amen to me too much right now, but can I just hear somebody say amen for a healthy man preaching to you today? Well, pastor Pastor must be different. He must not get tempted like me. I get tempted just like any man here through my eye gate, the ear gate, some perfume, some memory. Oh, you must be very disciplined. No, I just don't test the Lord. I don't see how close to the line I can get and still remain pure. I don't see how many women I can counsel by myself with closed doors. I don't hang out in the gym when they're all doing their aerobics and everything. I don't go to that one. I mean, I'm sensitive to where the Lord has me at. Even during the time of Boricua Fest when I'm out there preaching and I see the Boricua, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Senorita Boricuas and the Bonitas Senoritas is what I'm trying to say. But now I'm trying to say Boricuas in there. The Boricuas who are Senoritas Bonitas, the señorita Bonitas, Boricuas. I don't even know what I'm saying. Pray for this gringo because I try, I try so hard to relate to my gente. But when I'm out there at Humble Park, I'm not like... Oh, hey Maria, let me talk to you with your little stuff on and everything. I'm like, honey, you talk to that one right there. I'm gonna go talk to cousin Flacco right here. Yo, what's up, Flaco? Talk to me, dude. What's going on? Yo, man, I'm from the streets of Chicago, Pastor. Okay, my wife's gonna talk to your girlfriend then. How many know you gotta you, you can't put the Lord to test? Oh, Pastor, I'm struggling with lust, but I watch Game of Thrones. That's my favorite, my favorite show. Man, turn that junk off. Oh, Pastor, I'm dealing with jealousy, and I look at my Instagram 20 times a day. Turn it off. Oh, Pastor, I'm angry all the time in traffic. Take a bus, then it's not worth your soul going to hell over. Amen. In closing, man, I was rear-ended, yes, uh, two days ago in my car. I, uh, By God's grace, I was safe. I left enough room so I could veer, not hit the car in front of me, but it was on the expressway. I totaled the car behind me. And uh, these dear sisters came out, these young ladies. They were coming back from a graduation from the Navy. They were so nice. And uh, we were just so happy to be alive. And uh, they were so, like, they felt so bad. The driver felt so bad. And then we were standing on the side of the highway, and we're looking at it. And I told them, I said, all that matters is that we're still alive because we could have died right here. We could have died right now. All of us could be dead right now. You wouldn't even have anybody to apologize to. So you would be dead. I would be dead. We'd all be dead. Brothers and sisters, don't put the Lord to the test. Say, well, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it the next day. Do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for the next day. Get right with God now as we get ready to go. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please?